0: On the 28th of November 1979, an Air New Zealand sightseeing flight TE-901 crashed into the side of Mount Erebus in Antarctica. All 257 passengers and crew on board were instantly killed. At the time here in New Zealand, it seemed like everyone knew someone connected to the tragedy. I knew someone too. Over the years, we've heard a lot of stories about Erebus, the cover-up, the court case, the controversy. But here's some stories you might not know. Hi, I'm Lizzie Oakes, and when I was 10, I lost my nan, Muriel Florence Rose Harrison, to Erebus. Forty years later, I'm a broadcaster, and on this podcast, Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts, I'm speaking with others whose lives have been impacted by the disaster. Episode 13, Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts, Behind the Scenes. Over the last 12 episodes we've heard the stories of how Erebus has impacted our lives. However, in the process of telling these stories it has also been a journey in itself for me. In this final episode I've invited into the studio my friend Indira Stewart from Radio New Zealand to interview me. So I
1: know Lizzie and not just myself but a lot of people want to hear your story. So I'm going to start with Tell me about your nan. She's at the centre of all of this for you and and the reason why you started all of this.
0: Yeah, my nan, she was just such a lovely person. She's one of those really cute nans that's sort of slightly round with soft grey curls and blue eyes, a twinkle in her eye. And you just had fun. You went to her house and you stayed the night and she gave you biscuits in bed and she said, don't worry about the crumbs. And I distinctly remember thinking, oh, mum would never let me do this. And it was like this reassurance, don't worry about the crumbs. And she lived in this little two-bedroom wooden house by the sea. And uh, and uh, we would go to the beach and we would go for walks and we would go for swims and we'd go back to her place and then she'd set up the bridge table and we'd play mahjong and we'd drink ginger ale and eat peanuts. And the fizz would go up my nose like I must have been drinking it too quickly. She was fun, her garden was full of fruit trees and uh, hydrangeas and it was really idyllic spending time with her.
1: This was 40 years ago. But 40 you, years ago. You remember very vividly some of these characteristics of the mannerisms of things you did with her. So I,
0: remember, I remember it all. It is basically uh, probably, I guess, probably some of the happiest memories of my childhood and uh, I think because my parents split up when I was young and... Probably for a little kid, went through some difficult things. And, uh, and Nan's was just like, she was, it was like the safe place and it was fun and it was happy and it was peaceful and it, and it was good, you know. So
1: she's made this incredible mark on your life. It's been 40 years since she passed in the fatal accident of Erebus. Why'd you wait so long to tell the story?
0: It goes like this. I I uh, wanted to tell stories from a long time ago, and uh, and I had even when my mum was still alive. She died about five years ago. I remember years ago talking about Nan and talking about the accident and writing it down, and uh, sort of like thinking, yeah, I want to turn this into some kind of story. Uh, at one point, I was doing this uh, creative writing course and. Submitted it for one of the one of the assignments, and uh, the the New Zealand writer said to me, "Oh, I'd love to see this on the screen, or you know, turn this into something." And then I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to make it into a short film, something like that." Um, and so there was things bubbling away, uh, but it wasn't actually until I was. Um, Uh, About five years ago, my older brother actually went to Antarctica in New Zealand to put on these flights where families and quite a few people already in the podcast talked about their trips and how amazing it was for them. So my brother went and uh, he made a real effort when he came back. He showed us photos. He showed us a video he'd made saying goodbye to Nan. And it was like, even though he went and I wasn't there, I entered into that experience and it just let something go in my heart, something that I didn't even know that I was holding on to. I I, I have this phrase, I call it emotional indigestion, when you can't process something, you know, and that's what it was like. And then suddenly it wasn't there anymore. And then it was like, because I think it was just too painful and it probably wasn't processed properly before then. I don't even know if it fully is now, but it's enough to be able to talk about it. And so it was at that point that I thought, okay, I'll start writing the short film script, and that's what I did. So
1: this podcast is years of a vision that has finally come to fruition over the past seven weeks. How have you felt through the interviews, through the editing, listening back to what people have shared, uh, some of their deepest and most vulnerable moments that are now out in the open in honour of Erebus?
0: Well, it's been amazing what's happened with these people. Yeah, like you say, years in the making, because initially it was the short film script, and... Um, I uh, had a producer attached to it, I like still do, and we'd gone for some funding and things, and that didn't happen. And I thought, you know, I had this real goal to make it for the 40th. And then I've got this Facebook page called Muriel's Erebus. That's the, the film and the script. And I noticed that a number of people were coming by over the last few months looking probably for an update because I'd been giving some uh, behind-the-scenes things. And uh, I thought, oh gosh, you know, I've got nothing to show them. And I thought, I need to tell them. So it was sort of like this humble pie moment of humility and saying, hey world, I had a goal and I didn't reach it. <laughs> I mean, who does that? But I did it. And um, and it felt really good, actually, because I was just saying, you know, I haven't made it yet, but I still hope to. And it just felt like this moment of, you know, coming clean and it was good. And then uh, about five minutes later, this idea just dropped into me, into my mind, into my heart. And I was like, you can make a podcast. And I was like, Oh, well, actually I could because my day job is I'm a a broadcaster. I interview people for a job and I just sort of went to my work and said, how would you feel if I did this project on the side interviewing people for finding out about their memories and they were like, sweet, go for it. And so that was really profound. And so then all these, because I'd done research for a few years, I had all these connection points to all these people. And uh, so I started to contact people and basically the doors just opened. And the whole image I had of having these conversations with people is I just got these words in my head that said, capture the memories. And I got this picture of like, if you imagine a little kid trying to catch butterflies with a net in the garden, and you've got to be really gentle, you know, and careful because you're catching something really precious. And so that's the attitude I went into this Uh, podcast with was, wow, I get uh, the opportunity to talk with these people about something that has um, impacted their lives and their precious memories about their loved ones. And I've got to handle with care. You know, to me, this podcast has been a sacred space. It's been come in, share your memories, an invitation, and not everybody's accepted that. Um, but the ones that have, I've said, come in and just be who you are. I've got no agenda. And I've said to everyone, actually, look, if I ask you something that you don't want to talk about, then we don't go there. And so this amazing thing just began to evolve. Were there moments over these past few seven weeks that changed you? Definitely. I uh, I, I feel this podcast has There's nothing that's impacted my life more apart from becoming a mother. You know, that changes you. That changes your life at the core of your being, becoming a mother. And this podcast has done something to me that I probably can't quite put into words yet. But I guess it's been the people coming in and they're sharing their hearts. And the biggest thing is that for me and my family, Erebus was always about Nan, you know. And it was Nan. It was Muriel Florence Rose Harrison. And suddenly... All these other people have come into my studio, into my space and shared their stories and their hearts and there's been moments of tears and there's been moments of laughter and I felt this connection and it's like in some small way their family has become part of my family, you know, and, and I've watched people come and I've watched this experience and they've told me that it's been cathartic for them having a safe space to speak I almost imagine it must be like um, a Catholic priest when people go to confession. I mean, this isn't confession, but you know what I mean? You go somewhere and somebody just listens, and that's priceless. Um, Friendships have been built that I wouldn't have imagined with people um, within the podcast, Um, particular Sarah Miles, who's written the book Towards the Mountain because we met a couple of years ago and we've been cheering each other on and then Miriam Clancy who it turns out her husband is good mates with my brother and (laughs) and a number of other people as well and then another unexpected thing that's happened is that I've ended up getting involved in a bit of a Erebus advocacy role to do with the memorial so it's it's been wide and far-reaching you know this experience for me Um, and I think and then of course there's the feedback that I've started to get as well. Yeah, tell me about the feedback. What are people saying? What what kind of reaction have you gotten? People have started sending me messages, and this is the bit that just makes me want to cry. Um, people have lost mothers and fathers, and, and that's the thing with Erebus. We've all been so isolated until recent years, and, and, um, and they've told me, you know, I lost my mum, I lost my dad, and I'm listening to your podcast, and it's really helping me. Um, other people have said this is helping me to process my grief. Other people are like, "Hey, I didn't lose anybody, but I remember this so well, and what you're doing is just uh, amazing." And and that just that blows me away that that something that I created within a seven week period could actually touch somebody's heart and um and be part of the healing process for them and. Uh, you know, I couldn't have dreamed that up if I tried for that to have happened. But to me, that's the gold. That is the absolute gold that you actually just want people not to feel alone. You want, um, you know, in life where you'll go through things, it's not necessary an Erebus, but it can feel like it. And having that um, community of connection, whether it is just through listening to a podcast and someone speaking your language, they're speaking out of a place where you've been and you felt alone in it and then somebody comes along say uh, episode two my brother Journey of forgiveness had a lot of response people with that because uh, he talks about being really angry and uh, having to journey through all these feelings and having come to this place of forgiveness and being able to let go and so all our stories are sort of like a tapestry and they're starting to weave together and 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 we're we're as an Erebus community we're helping each other but I know that loss and pain and grief are actually universal languages. And I know that these stories will be mm. things that will uh, ricochet and, and re- reverberate through other people's lives, that they will actually understand the themes that are there. You mentioned the healing process
1: for many other people, including the ones that you interviewed, the people that reached back and gave feedback. I'd love to hear about your healing process and perhaps how this journey had an impact on that
0: yeah, this journey had a massive impact. So for me, like you say, I have very strong memories of my nan. I'm a storyteller. So there's the detail. I love to remember those things. Um, but for a lot of time of my life, I didn't, I couldn't feel my nan in my heart, which I know that might sound strange because she's been dead for such a long time, but I couldn't feel the connection in my heart to the happy memories that I had in my head. And, um, through this process, it's happened. I, I can actually feel what I used to feel as a kid. So I no longer talk out of it out of a head knowledge. I actually talk out of a, of a heart knowledge. And that's just a beautiful gift to me through this process that I can actually feel what it was like. I can remember her. And you know what I think, Andira, um, is that when a trauma comes, And we remember that person, we go, flick, oh, yeah, that's right. I was 10 years old at primary school and the plane crashed and I came home and mum was there sitting on her own and later in the night. associate the circumstances. Yeah, and it's all the trauma and it's the, oh, and it's the overwhelm and it's I don't know how to process this and that was just such a hard thing to live through. But to be able to go beyond that and back to the memory and the connection of the person You know, that's our memories are all that we have left and to be stuck. And I think I got that from a lot of people that came and, you know, there was a sense of being sort of stuck on the 28th of November, 1979. But through this process of making this podcast, meeting these people, I've gone back, not just in my head, but in my heart. And I can remember what it felt like to have my nan. And that is just beautiful.
1: Lizzie, you know, as I mentioned before, it was 40 years ago now was it like
0: grieving for her all over again? Yeah, yeah, it was, it is. I'm still there. I mean, through this process, I've cried. I've cried making this podcast. Um, I've cried for what I felt myself. I've I've cried for what I felt for other people. I've cried for the Collins family and, um, you know, their dad, their husband being blamed by people that just didn't even know the facts. But it's been good. What I know about grief is that you have to process it. You have to feel it. You have to, to move through grief, you actually have to feel it and process it to be to move past it. And I guess for a lot of us in the Erebus community, we didn't do that. And so for some of us, we are still doing it now. And I think that apology, I mean, wow. Yes, tell me, what, what were your first thoughts when you heard those
1: words come out of the Prime Minister's mouth?
0: I just sat there and I tell you, because I've spent a lot of time at those different memorials over the years and something in me often just, I flick back to a 10-year-old. So what was I doing as a 10-year-old? As a 10-year-old, I was a daydreamer. So I was staring out the window, I was looking around, looking at people, not really paying attention to what was going on. (laughs) I just would flick back into this 10-year-old mode. So I was sitting there, actually. I wasn't as a 10-year-old. I was uh, engaging. I was listening. But as she began to apologise, I just it was almost like my head started to shake, like, what's going on? Like I literally almost like my ears were ringing. My eyes were like, what is happening here? And there was a small part of me that felt like a 10 year old that actually just wanted to throw myself on the floor and cry. And, um, you know, like it was just huge. It was just massive. And it was like, have I missed something? Like, did she already apologize one other time? But I was off being a teenager, not her, but the government. And I wasn't paying attention because I was living my life. But as I talked to some other people and I alluded to in the previous episode. Um, it never happened. It never happened. Did you ever think it would? I don't think I did. So I don't, that was unexpected? Totally unexpected. I don't even think it was a thought process like, oh, they should apologise. Like there was probably a lot of other people who have thought that, but I don't think it was a thought process of mine. What about the others? when you When that speech was being made,
1: when you turn around and look at all the other families of the victims, were they in the
0: same, were they reacting the same way? Yeah, you could feel this wave of emotion. And I and I talked about it in the previous episode, the apology where people began to respond and you saw arms around shoulders and, uh, you know, I think I heard a sob and, but I think we were, <laughs> as I said, I think a lot of us were stunned mullets. We were just like, sometimes things are just too big to comprehend you know and they take they take time they take a few days they take a few weeks they might take a few months to actually process
1: tell me about what some of the biggest things that you've learned
0: from this journey i've learned how important it is for people to share their stories and talk and that everybody who's lived any life has a valid story to tell i mean i've also learned what an honor and a privilege you know, both you and I are broadcasters so we know what it's like to sit down and, and tell people's stories. Um, but I've also learnt that, I um, mean, I work in, at Rema Media, uh, my day job, and there's a lot of people here, they're quite young, uh, they're in their 20s, and they've even really known about Erebus until I started doing this project. And then they come and tell me, I'm listening to the podcast, and wow, I'm learning this, and this is amazing. And um, And so for me, what I've learnt is that it's really important to document our history so that we can pass that knowledge and those experiences on to other people when we're no longer here. I've also learnt that just because something happened a long, long ago, it doesn't actually mean that it's over. You know, I hear people sometimes say, oh, yeah, I went through that, did it, I'm over it now, I'm over it. And I think, I don't think you are, but okay. And I don't know if we ever get fully over things, but... There's ways through that help us to heal so that we function and we can connect with the joy and the happiness in life. You know, we don't have to live out of those places. But I think I think when we're I've got unresolved grief and pain in our lives, part of our hearts are sort of hooked up, you know, they're almost in prison to those experiences. And healing has to come so that we actually we can be set free from them. And then we have the ability to say, hey, I can talk about this. I may still feel it, but it doesn't define me.
1: What would you t- What would you say to those impacted by Erebus that aren't there
0: yet? I just think be kind to yourself. It's okay. Um, journaling is a wonderful way to process things in your life. Connect with things that bring you joy, whether you paint or you go walking or you hug your grandkids or your children. Um, experience life. And all its beauty, there's so much to experience. And uh, sometimes you need a good counsellor, you know, if you're in a such, I've had counselling before, if you're going through things, you need somebody outside your experience to be able to talk to and connect with.
1: I'd love to know what you think your nan would think about <laughs> everything you've done, the stories that you've shared, the work you've put into this, the seeds you've sown, and
0: her memory. I actually think she'd be really proud of me. (laughs) And I was thinking that, um, you know, she was this adventurer. She said to my brother um, that if she'd been born a boy, she would have gone to sea, like at the Merchant Navy. And she'd always had this fascination with Antarctica. And so the great adventurer that she was, she went there and she had her adventure. She was at the latter part of her life and that's where her life ended. And I was thinking my kind of adventure what makes my heart sing, where I feel most alive, is uh, telling stories, you know. And so to be able to tell these, this podcast, my story and other people's, and then my hope for the future to make my short film Muriel's Erebus, you know, that that's a big adventure for me. And I feel like I'm carrying on the legacy of my nan because I'm, I'm I'm functioning out of that place of my heart that causes delight and joy and adventure, just like she did. Tell me about where to from here. Yeah, good question. I think in the new year I've got a body of work behind me now. I need to really, uh, even my boss said to me yesterday, Lizzie, you've, you've accomplished all this. It's really amazing. I think now you need to. Go back to the, you know, the grindstone and work on getting your funding for your film. I mean, the story that I, I, I know it, I feel it, I see it, I taste it. I mean, you know, I want to share it with the world. And um, not because it's just an Erebus story, but it's a very uniquely Kiwi story. But also the story that I'm telling within the short film, I guess it sort of parallels the podcast is that you go through difficult times, but there is hope. There's always hope. Has it
1: given you some kind of closure or finality, finishing this podcast?
0: I don't know. It's It's made me... Erebus is never really over, It's not really over. We've still got this memorial thing to sort out. Um, It's just made me realise how much I want to make my film. You know, it's made me more determined. and And perhaps there's other Erebus stories to tell as well that I'm yet to discover. Thanks for listening to Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts. I'm Lizzie Oakes. Thanks to Scott Gillen, my audio engineer, and to Rema Media for their support. If you'd like to stay in touch, feel free to follow our Facebook page, Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts. And if you've enjoyed this podcast series, please share it with your friends and social media contacts. To subscribe, go to Erebus Engraved on Our Hearts on iTunes or Spotify or erebusengravedonourhearts.com.